0: Amen. As you uh, find your seat, we'll dismiss our kiddos to the back. And they look like they're eager to get back there. As they're doing that, let me invite you to open up in your words to First Thessalonians. We'll be in chapters 1 and 2 of First Thessalonians today. And um, man, Phil, as we just sang that song, I just couldn't... Help but think about uh, just how powerful the name of Jesus is in our life, and as we walk with Him, how sweet that name is to us. I thought about Paul and Silas in prison. It says, as they were locked up, they began to sing hymns, and you wonder what hymns they they were singing. Several of the hymns Paul records in his letters, um, we don't know if it's one of those. As in the Philippians, or if it was one of these great messianic psalms. But nevertheless, incredible um, to think about the power, just in the name and what that brings to us. Um, When you came in, you received your little Lent guide, and I just want to bring just a little attention to that. Um, We observe, with millions of Christians in many different denominations all over the world, the season of Lent. Which is 40 days before Easter, and um, and typically during the season of Lent, that you refrain some of the uh, from some of the lesser things that seem to occupy and like take up our uh, the space in our mind and our hearts and provide little comforts. Uh, last week was food, certain foods or meals, and the staff's going to continue to fast on Mondays. Um, through lunch, and I would invite you to do that if you can and are medically able and feel that's something you want to participate with us in and pray during that time when the the hunger pains come. Um, It's funny, we have staff meeting on uh, Monday afternoon, and last week all our stomachs are making all this noise. It was pretty interesting. Uh, This week, uh, the ask is that you would, um, starting tomorrow, refrain from uh, television and movies during the second week of Lent. And um, there's a lot of information in this little guide, so don't just toss this out. This would be great. Um, One, it's got the prayer guide, what we're praying for for uh, for this week, but also a little devotional thought that you could maybe read in your family um, worship this week. So I bring attention um, to that, and uh, you'll get more and more information on that. Uh, Things are going to be a little unique today, as I'm going to preach, hopefully, the first 20 minutes of this message and uh, I'm going to bring Jason up at the end to kind of bring some application. We worked on this together. And so hopefully there won't be two distinct sermons. Hopefully it's just one sermon with two preachers. Um, we'll, we'll, see, we'll see how it goes. Um, we've been in this uh, series called The Way of Jesus. And we've looked at the three-dimensional life that Jesus had as he spent time with the Father, as he invested in and in other believers, and then out with the lost world. And this three-dimensional life, uh, easily, you can easily see as you read through the Gospels, but not only that, this is what he has called us to do, that we would love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We would love our neighbors as ourselves, and that we would love each other. He said, this new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my Disciples. So we've been talking about this, and we had several sermons on this uh, upward uh, dimension and connecting with the Father and surrendering to Him. And then several sermons on this inward dimension, leaning in, and these themes of vulnerability and authenticity and confession and encouragement and support and bearing one another's burdens, really loving each other. And then we spent some time talking about this outward dimension. Reading that quote from a couple weeks ago from Rosaria Butterfield that, speaking of some people who invested in her when she was lost, she said that the threshold of their home brought me to the foot of the cross. Man, again, what a line. I can't get away from that. It has just been ringing in my head and in my heart So we want to kind of sum these things up, and I, in this idea of discipleship, because you don't learn these things on your own. Jesus didn't come and just threw out some pithy sayings to his disciples and say, okay, now you go learn these on your own. No, the very word disciple means a learner or a pupil, and they began, he called them to follow him, and he did life with them and invested his life into them, Jesus did with the disciples. And then we also see a picture of this. We say, okay, I get this, but that's Jesus and the disciples. But we see this in a very tangible way in the life and ministry of Paul, the apostle, as he invested into young believers. And 1 Thessalonians, if you've never read First and Second Thessalonians, such an encouragement, a church that gets most things right, we see a picture of this, of Paul investing in them, of their lives being radically changed in a three-dimensional way. And this is the text I want to look at as we explore this question. So what is discipleship and what is our steps? He says in verse 8, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also ourselves because you have become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked day and night, that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. And you are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom glory this is this incredible passage of these Thessalonian believers who were pagan as as much as pagan and heathen or lost or whatever words that we want to use they live lives completely apart from God They worshipped idols. We see that in this. They were worshipping vain idols. And Paul brings this gospel in. We see this radical transformation in them. And I think there's an encouragement for us that we would walk also in this manner, worthy of the calling which we've been called, in this discipleship relationship. So I want to give you five truths about discipleship today. And my hope is is that, um, that we, would, we would be in a relationship of discipleship where other people are teaching and pouring into us and that we would, we would then take what we've learned and pour into other people. So a few things about discipleship. First, it's experienced by faith. Without faith, there is no discipleship in the ways of Jesus. This takes continual steps of faith and this is what Jesus was constantly challenging his disciples with. You remember this over and over. He would look at them after some supernatural event and he would look back at them and say, oh, you of little faith. Faith is the substance here. We see this in verse 13 of chapter 2. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the words of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. This is this faith step that this church began to take. They accepted the word of God by faith. Faith definition, and this is maybe not exhaustive, but one that I like to use, and I've shared it before. Faith is choosing to live as though God's word is true, regardless of circumstances, emotions, and cultural trends. To live as God's word is true. As culture begins to change, and redefines what truth is, or maybe even the assumption now that there is no absolute truth. Truth is whatever you believe it is. That is a scary place to be, and God's word holds itself up as the absolute truth of God to us. Colossians 2:6 says, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. Just as it takes more than romance to stay married, it takes more than just goosebumps. To live in him, continually living in him. There are times when you feel like giving up and giving in and you have to remind yourself that God's word is more real than your feelings. What does Hebrews 11 say? Without faith, it's impossible to please him. This is an invitation. Discipleship is an invitation for you to take a step of faith. To submit under the yoke of discipleship. To open your life to other wise and godly people that they may pour into you experienced by faith. But more than that, it's motivated by love. We didn't read the whole passage, but multiple times in chapter 1 and chapter 2, you can see the love of God flowing through Paul and causing him to love these people. In verse 8, he says, so being affectionately desirous of you, or at the end of that verse, you had become very dear to us. Down in verse 17 he says but since we were torn away from you brothers for a short time in person not in heart we endeavored all the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face does this sound like a uh, someone who's uh, obligated to pour into someone no his heart was for these people this is something only God can do it is the strangest thing I can say as a pastor. My dad used to remind me all the time that being a pastor is the only job where you're required to love the people you serve from day one. But this is something that God bursts in your heart. I can't tell you how many times that God's woken me up for people in the middle of the night. People that I don't naturally like, but just such a burden and love for them. Praying that God would do and form himself in them, losing hours and hours of sleep, right? Praying that this is something that God does. And we have to pray that God would give us his heart for other people. This is, again, part of the essence of discipleship. As you walk in the love of the Father, you pour your life into other people. This is why discipleship can't really be faked. It's genuine love from the Father pouring in and through you. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, a church that was really hard to love. He says, for the love of Christ compels us. This is just the natural process that we are filled up with the love of God and then we pour that love of God into other people. It's a picture of Jesus as he restores Peter. Do you remember this? After Peter has denied Jesus and. Jesus meets Peter and the charcoal fire and the whole fishing thing again. And he calls Peter up and he asks him, Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. There's this picture of the love of God in us is this direction from that that we move out to love and invest our life into other people. Hey, if you haven't found found out yet, this life, this Christian life certainly is not about you. And your pleasure, and what you want in life. So the passage would go on to say, "That's why we no longer live for ourselves, but for Him." And a lot of us miss out on so much joy in the Christian life because we're still living like it's about us. It's motivated by love. If you love Him, you feed His sheep. It's process developed. Process developed, meaning there's a process to it. There's a maturing to it. There's a, there's a maturation, a growing in this. Look at this in verse 11 here. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you. You see these different directions that Paul is saying. This was not an easy thing. They're pouring their life into them one, but they're exhorting each one of you. I love this. It's like not just, not just the, the church as a whole and this big crowd, but this is Paul speaking to the hearts of each individual. You remember how we exhorted each one of you. This is this encouragement that comes, and we encourage you. And we charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, he says in verse 13. That when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Not as the word of men, but what it really is. The word of God, which is at work in you believers. You see this picture of the word of God working in them, which is at work, still at work. Was at work is still at work and will continue to be at work. There's this process to it that we open God's word and it reads us as we read it. We're in the process of becoming more and more like Christ. Again, I love that Eugene Peterson quote: his definition of discipleship along obedience in the same direction. The word at work in you. Friends, is the word at work in you? When's the last time you read it and it offended you, and it convicted you, and it corrected you, and it exhorted you, and it encouraged you? The word at work in you. This is why it's so essential to listen to the right voice. My daughter uh, plays soccer, Claire, and, and, and the, the more advanced we get as she grows up... Um, the better and better the coaching gets. And so used to when they were little, any dad coached, right? And we just, and you didn't have to know the rules. You ever watch little four and five-year-olds? It doesn't even matter. They could probably play without a ball. They could just run around. But the older, the older she gets, and her coach is, is in the room, John, it's funny that I will be on the sideline coaching her, and her coach, who actually knows soccer, will be telling her something completely opposite of what I'm saying, Right? Because he knows soccer and I don't know soccer. So her prerogative at that moment is to not listen to dad, if it's good for her, and listen to her coach who knows what he's talking about, right? This is, this is what's happening with the word of God. If we're not careful, we listen to the wrong voice. That's shouting from the side, the cultural voice. Just do what makes you happy, man. Just, just live unto yourself. Be a law unto yourself. You You be the judge of your own life yet the word of god the voice of god the word of wisdom is calling you into a different thing all together it's a process developed I was reading last week in John 15. And this is a passage I've taught here a dozen times. We refer to all the time about abiding with the Father. I, I saw something that I've never seen in that passage. We don't have time to really dig into that. But there's this process. It says in the beginning, the point is that you would bear, bear fruit. And then it says that you would bear more fruit. And then it says that you would bear much fruit. And then it says that that fruit would remain. You see this process of bearing fruit, and then bearing more fruit, and then bearing much fruit, and then that that fruit would not just waste away, but that fruit would remain. In other words, that you can invest your life into fruit that doesn't remain. Every good investor, we want to invest our money in things that will remain and things that will last. You would be ridiculous to go cash out your 401k and buy 18-wheelers full of avocados, right? avocados last like maybe a minute right you take a shower and you've missed the ripeness of the avocado it is like it's done it's already spoiled you would be silly to invest your life in that because it will not remain yet we as christians even we begin to invest our life in things in fruit that does not remain i remember taking my kids to party central and spending 20 bucks on all these games, and they would come with these big pile of tickets, right? And they stand before the counter. You've seen the counter, the glass counter, that's full of junk. And especially Claire, she had such a hard time making a decision. She would literally stand in front of it for an hour, just wondering, "Okay, do I, uh, do I get the Twizzlers or do I get the sticky hand that sticks against the wall, or the spider ring? Right? Like, what am I gonna get? Of course, I don't have enough tickets to get a basketball or whatever it was. So I'm, you know, I've got it. This is your level. This is, and I just want to get in front of her and shake her. Like, Claire, it doesn't matter what you buy today. This is all gonna be gone tomorrow." It is worthless. You're either going to eat it or it's going to break. In the same way, this is what the call of God and to us, especially in the realm of discipleship, is to invest our lives in things that matter, in things that will remain. And you know what remains? Eternal things. People. That's the things. Things we sow into the kingdom. Things, people. When we invest our life in other people, that's the only thing that remains. i got to get moving. It's process developed. It's relationally transferred. That's the number four. This will be my last point. It's relationally transferred. In 1 Thessalonians 2.8, he says, so we cared for you. The NIV says, because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well. Shared with them our lives as well. Now this is where I think that we see the greatest um, separation between the biblical discipleship and what we've called discipleship. For us, discipleship has been just learning more concepts. And so you had a discipleship hour. In the church I was growing up, we had discipleship at 4.15 on Sunday nights. And you would go and you would learn more things about God. And I'm not, I'm not throwing that out, but that's not necessarily discipleship. That's just... That's just learning, and it's good to learn, and it's good to renew our minds in those ways. It's good to learn those concepts, but that's not discipleship. Discipleship is life on life. This is what Jesus invited his uh, disciples into. This is certainly what Paul is advocating there. I love that that he uses this illustration as like like a father with his children. For you know how, he says in verse 11, like a father with his children, we exhorted you. He also uses this picture like a nursing mother with her babies. So not a professor sharing information with hundreds of people. The way that we've set up our education system in the West, if you go there's one professor you get to college and and there's there's 100 or 200 or 300 pupils out there learning there's no life on life I mean you can talk to the professor maybe if you set an appointment months out or you send him an email but you don't know what his life he's not he's not trying to uh he's not trying to invest these truths into you life on life no he's just teaching you things but discipleship is so different it's less like a professor and more like a family Of pouring your life into someone else. It's not a classroom concept. It's a family concept. Not just about learning more and more. It's about us learning to obey those things. That is the great commission. Not that you would just go teach them all the concepts. But what does Jesus say? You would teach them to obey them. You know, there's a big difference when you have kids. Can you remember what it was like before kids? There's a lot of things you give up when you have kids. You give up sleep. That was probably 10 years of my life where I don't think we slept through the night at all, right? And none of it was like tragic, but you know, there's monsters under beds and they always get so thirsty at nighttime and whatever it is, right? They want you to tell them stories. Just every, you, don't, you don't sleep through the night or you're scared to death or you go check on them to make sure they're breathing still. Weird things happen, right, when you have, when you have babies. You give up sleep. You give up peaceful mealtime. How many times have I been with friends, even friends who don't have kids, and they've come over to eat, especially when we're planting the church, and the kids are all back there playing, and we have the food, and we're like, let's eat now. Let's eat right now. Wait, you don't want to get the kids? No, let's don't. Don't get the kids. That's going to ruin this right here. As soon as we get kids, we're going to have drinks knocked over, and we're going to be cutting up chicken. We're going to to do all this, all this. Let's just eat if they're distracted, right? I'm sure people think we're bad parents for that. But, man, what it cost you to have kids. But it's the greatest thing you ever give your life to. Investing your life into others. This is what discipleship is. It's investing your life into other people. I love this. Ian Bowne says it this way, speaking of Jesus investing his life into others. The training of the 12 was the great, difficult, and enduring work of Christ. I love that. The great work. The great work is discipleship. I believe that's the unique thing, especially it's been on our hearts, Jason and I's hearts, since we started planting the church, was that we'd be a church that disciples, that pours into other people, that we set up systems and environments for this. He's going to share a little more about that. As I've thought about this the last few weeks and months as we've been teaching through the series, The Way of Jesus, I thought about how I learned most of these concepts, the upward, the inward, the outward, through people who poured into my life. Now, yes, I learned them on the pages of Scripture, but I learned them more by watching other people as they lived out these truths of Scripture. I think my dad taught me how to love God more and more. And he taught me, of course, every one of these dimensions in some way, but he, he just loved God and the older he got, the, the sweeter it seemed that his love for God had gotten. I remember after his stroke, he went, rode with me. Uh, he, had a, he had a stroke a few years before he passed away. And he couldn't drive, so he rode with me up to Hot Springs to buy a lawnmower. And we're chatting on the way up there. And I turned on some worship, worship music, and uh, one of the songs that was just on my iTunes at the the moment was uh, Chris Tomlin's Crown Him With Many Crowns. Kind of a remake of an older song. Maybe you've heard it. Crown Him With Many Crowns. And as I'm singing through, I look over at my dad and he is just weeping. I didn't need to know what he was thinking about. This picture of his life given to ministry and serving the Lord, loving the Lord. This idea that one day we get to take the crowns, any crowns that we might earn in this life and lay them at the feet of Jesus. Just was reminded as just a young pastor what it means that we should pursue loving God. This inward dimension. Many men in my life, Warren Jackson and Jeff Luce, have taught me what it means to live deeply with other people and to open up your heart to others and be vulnerable and authentic. Speak truth. I've talked about my Uncle Chip before. He taught me what it means to love the lost. Man, he loved the lost more than anybody that I, that I remember. He would just stay up at night weeping over the lost and we would go into this new city and have this little revival and he would just be, his heart would be so wrecked for the lost. I think there are probably many people that have been in your life that you've learned these things from. I think there's many people that God's calling you to be that person in their life that you could be Jesus in the flesh for them. We bring Jason up to finish this last point and give us some next
1: steps. So we've looked at uh, this picture of discipleship and uh, these first four ideas of it's experienced by faith. Uh, it's motivated by love. It's a process, right? And it's transferred through relationship. And as Luke shared, and as we all are thinking in our minds right now, people in our lives, that we're here and we're hanging on because of the investment they made in our lives but this fifth point, we're going to see today, of being controlled by the spirit, as we see these things kind of flesh out, and this end of seeing spirit empowered people. That is the picture of discipleship that gets us out of bed, not people that are walking the power their own power walking the power of the spirit. Go to First Thessalonians chapter one, right, right, right before. Chapter 2, obviously. In verse 4, Paul says this. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word. This gospel preached was not just a message declared, a faith to be believed in our minds. It was not just that. But listen to this. But also in power and in the Holy Spirit And with full conviction. It's the Holy Spirit that is at work in us that ties all this together. This faith, this love, this process, the relationship, it happens through the power of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings power for us to transform into the image of Jesus Christ. I think so many times, as Luke mentioned, that our discipleship has been kind of pared down into a class once a week, and we are devoid of the power of change in our lives. And I talk to you, I talk to myself, and we're just eager to move past these ways, right? We're eager to change, but many times it's this powerless, non-Holy Spirit-filled lives. And it says here, the Holy Spirit brings full conviction. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. As we read God's word, as Luke said, the Holy Spirit impresses upon us these words down into our soul and convicts and changes us. The Holy Spirit is what produces this change, this fruit in our lives. But look at verse verse 6 in chapter 1. And you became imitators. Go ahead and underline that word if you don't mind, imitators. It's a great picture of discipleship. It's just imitation. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction. Their circumstances were dark many times. But look at this. But with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Friends, the Holy Spirit brings joy. The Holy Spirit brings supernatural. Paul and Silas arrested for doing good works, thrown in jail. They're not pouting. They're not throwing a pity party. They are singing songs and praising God. The Holy Spirit brings joy in the midst of the darkest circumstances. So why do we always talk about discipleship here at this church? Yes, we are commanded in Scripture to make disciples. Yes, and amen, that is our primary motivation. But as a pastor, as myself, as one of your friends, I just beg and plead for the joy of the Holy Spirit in your life, in my life, in our life. Because here's the truth, friends. Affliction is coming to every single one of us. Suffering is coming to every single one of us. And our own selves, our own minds, our own power, even our own relationships is not simply enough. We need something more. We need the joy of the Holy Spirit that far surpasses all the other joys we can find. And that is this picture of discipleship over and over that our joy of the world grows less and our joy in Christ through the Holy Spirit grows more and more. It's supernatural joy. It's joy and peace in the midst of whatever happens in our lives. But look at what a life of this supernatural joy produces. Go to verse 7. With The joy of the Holy Spirit so that you as they walked with joy in the midst of affliction, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything through the joy in your life, in the midst of afflictions and hardships, Christ is formed in others. As we're controlled by the Spirit, there's this supernatural joy that is developed. But also this joy, listen, as the world sees this joy, something happens. The gospel goes forth and Christ is formed in others. These two things. Joy, supernatural joy, and Christ and others. These two things, they happen through life on life discipleship, through life on life discipleship. But here's the thing. Here, here's the tension point for us today, and as we kind of land the plane and we pray, prayerfully take next steps, so here's the tension right here. This is a slow process. We desire to see change in our lives, right? I desire to be a better husband. I do. A, a, a harder worker. More joyful, peace-filled, patient person. I, I desire those things. But friends, it is slow. And listen, we all desire to have great purpose in our lives. To see our life means something. To see our life poured out in others. But friends, it's slow. Here's the thing. This is a slow process. The process is small. And it's slow. It's not big and fast. This quote from Caesar Kalinowski, I think that's how I said The paradoxical pathway of Jesus that actually produces the most fruit in the long run is almost the exact opposite of the advice most of us hear every day. Small is big, slow is fast. We are wired for fast and big, aren't we? Everything in our culture, everything in our church culture is about fast and big and not small and slow. And here's what it looks like. This slowness, this is what it is. It's this slow process of change in your life. It's you being faithful to take the next step God puts in front of you. Today, this afternoon, tomorrow, Tuesday. It is that faithful Process, that faithful step, that slow step that produces this kind of life, this kind of joy in the midst of affliction. It happens through saying yes to the step today. That's how this process happens. It's really slow, but also it's really small. Here's what I mean this processing Christ formed in others through your joy, it's not this big sexy thing that we think about, that we're going to go at and we're going to change the world and receive all the glory. It's really small. Listen, God has given and given you, has made you a steward of a small amount of people. Your family, there's coworkers, there's neighbors, there's friends, there's 20 people in your life. This really small thing, and it'll go slow with them too, that God has called us to give our lives to. And this is why we as a church exist, because we believe through this small and this slow process of you being invested and you going out, we can see our community look different. So the question is, here's what I, I think sometimes, is that we just simply miss out on all that God is doing because we're just looking for big and fast. And we miss out on all that God is doing around us. So the question is, what does this look like? So what are we, there's a question that every pastor must answer. What is your plan for discipleship? It's the first question. And second, is that plan working? And as me and Luke and others have sat and prayed and, and talked for months of what are we giving our lives to? What, what is it that we as a, as a people we're a small group here. As us, us, this little what are we committing to together? And there's really four things. There's four environments for us at Covenant that we are investing in to help you be disciple and become more like Christ. And the first is on Sundays. There's two things on Sundays that we are doing to help move this ball forward for you. That we're asking you to join up with us in this. The first is our worship gathering, which you're here right now. This is our worship gathering. This, just so we're clear, this is not the church. We are the church, obviously, but this event is not the church. We are just gathered together. And our worship gathering is this right here. It's a gathering where people are inspired to live a three-dimensional life. And that word inspired can sound trite sometimes, like I'm inspired to you know, go run a, a thousand miles. But what I mean by this is, I'll give you an example. Uh, last Sunday... Um, man, we we have been battled with sickness this this 2020. We've all gotten the flu twice. I know it's possible. Um, and it's just been a hard few months. And um, it's one of those Sundays where you make yourself go. I have to come. I have to be here. But uh, you, you make yourself show up. Right, and I'm here, and and you're doing what you're called to do. Um, and I encounter the presence of God with the body of Christ we take communion, and we sing this song uh, called New Wine about what God is pressing and crushing. And in that moment, for an hour and a half on a Sunday in a gym, um, I'm with the body of Christ encountering a miraculous risen Savior who also is speaking to me. If that is not what is inspiring, I don't know what is. And I was inspired that day to get off the mat, so to speak, right? Right? So we gather for worship, we show up at nine and we pray that we, the body of Christ, are taken from down here and our eyes are lifted towards the hills and we're inspired to live this life of up, in, and out. Second thing on Sundays is our equipping class. This is a class we're we trying to teach people how to live a three-dimensional life. It's teaching people to think and see, and live in the ways of Jesus. It's helping give us a gospel-centered, biblical worldview, and how to live these truths out in a very practical way. It's to equip people for ministry. So with our gathering and our class on Sundays, and I, am, I, I love both those environments, and I will tell you, if you're faithful to those things on Sundays, here's the good news. People will learn your name. They will. You show up every week, they're going to know your name. They might know where you work. They might know like a fraction of kind of who you are. But that's it. They won't know your story. They won't know your soul. That's an incomplete picture of discipleship. So if we are just doing that as a church, we're not making disciples. That's a part of it, but it's not fully formed disciples of Jesus. So we have two more environments. The first, our missional community. Our missional communities are a community where people, if they're inspired in the gathering, they're taught in the class, in the community, it's where they can experience this three-dimensional life with other people. So if we have kind of like the teaching in the lab on Sundays, during the week we work these things out. We actually live a life of up and in and out. We gather together and we actually pray together. We pray. We discuss the Bible. We, we go in together. We share meals together, right? We share burdens together. We have game nights together. We're the body of Christ together. But then we go out and we throw parties and we invite neighbors in and we go and serve the lost, the last, and the least among us. We experience this life. It's this chance for us to taste and see what the way of Jesus looks like in real life. But hear this today. Our missional communities are not just for us. They're a beautiful picture for us, all of us to learn how to experience community together. That's a beautiful picture. But hear this, this is not just for us. And here's what I mean, is that I have family, I have friends, I have neighbors, you have people that desperately need to see a picture of the way of Jesus in the life of people. And I will tell you through years I will say this, of me inviting my sister into, the, into our community through parties, through serving. You people in this room have shown her this picture of a three-dimensional life. And I am praying for her. I have neighbors that you have invested in through us in inviting people in. So just one quick question about your missional community. Who are you inviting in? I hope you are faithful. I do. But who are you inviting in to taste and see and experience This three-dimensional life. And here's the beauty of a missional community, and I've got to go fast. People in your MC, in your missional community, they start knowing you. They start knowing some of your story in a real way. And they start even knowing some of your struggles kind of in 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 a generic, general way. And that is beautiful, and that is right, and that is good. But it's still a bit incomplete. Think about the life of Jesus for one moment. Jesus ministered to the crowds, right? He went and just found places. He preached. He fed them. All these things. But then also, he got a little bit closer. He had the 72. These disciples of his that were following him, that he was training up, that he was sending out, he was doing all these things. But he didn't stop there. He got even closer to 12, right? And we see Jesus really living this up-in-and-out life with these 12 men, right? But then Jesus went a step further, and he had the three. He had the three that he got as deep and as personal and as real, and they experienced life and training from Jesus that no one else had. And for us to be fully informed in the ways of Jesus, we need someone in our life. We need a Paul to our Timothy, if that makes sense, that is pouring into us. And that's this new step we're taking, which is the discipleship pathway. And this is an intentional discipleship relationship where people are discipled and trained to disciple others in the three-dimensional life. Where someone invests in you, disciples you, helps see these things, holds you accountable to these things in a way that no one else does, but also equips you to go and do likewise. Because here's the truth. You're not a disciple of Jesus until you go out and make disciples yourself. It's not just learning things and doing good things. It's then going and making disciples yourself. We talk about invitation and challenge a lot, right? This idea that we have to invite people into our life, love them well, and then challenge them with the truth, the gospel. This environment of being a part of a pathway relationship is the highest picture of invitation, the highest picture of vulnerability, but also the highest picture of challenge. This is you saying, I submit myself to someone else. This is not some person trying to get you to come to a meeting or a thing. This is you saying, I want to be disciple in the ways of Jesus, and I want to disciple others. Please help me. If I could, I would talk you out of taking this step today on some level because I want us to be so ready for this step, so excited for this step that we'd actually take this step because it's going to be hard. You think about an MC, you're kind of, you start being known, but in this relationship as far as being discipled, people know the failures in your story, right? Not just the good parts, but the failures. They know the specific struggles, not the generic struggles. It is this true life-on-life life discipleship. So here is, here is what I would say is probably our hope and our dream as we think about this. And it's that you can answer at some point in your life with us. Because here's what happens at our church most times. is that people walk with us and they're sent away. They move somewhere. They do something. That's great. If you're here with us for a season, this includes you. Is that one day in this year, the next year and two you can answer two questions. First question. Who has discipled me? That you'd be almost so clear at the person that's invested in you that you could just say, this is the person that discipled me. And second, who am I discipling? Who has discipled me and who am I discipling? That we as a people, as the people of Covenant Church in Bozier City could answer those two questions. So next steps, your step today. I'm gonna ask you to please get out your connection card. They're a little new, they're a little smaller, Everybody, please just get that out very quickly. Because my prayer today is that we have 100% participation. That we all take some sort of step of faith today. And here is the thing we as a church, we as pastors, we as a people, we are committed to going slow and small with you. That what your step is today, if it's a slow step, take that step of faith today. Four steps. Commit, the first one, commit to faithful attendance to the worship gathering. If that is your step today, if, if you're the type of person that you're a part of this, but, you know, if, 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 you're, if your toe feels bad that day or we're just out that day, I would ask you to commit to be faithful to the gathering. Just write gathering on your card. Just write gathering on there so we would be praying for you, praying with you, and just helping you with that process. And here's what I mean. Here, here's a rule for, for, for just uh, my household. Um, listen, we get sick, we go out of town, things come up. That, that is part of this. I'm not saying that at all. But if we're healthy and we're in town, you know, we're going to be a part of the, the, the body of Christ because we love Jesus and we love each other. We keep going. Worship gathering, second step, commit to faithful attendance to the equipping class. Just write class in the card. If that's your step today. Just write class on your card. That you are going to say, I'm going to be faithful to helping learn the ways of Jesus through this class. That I'll be faithful to that step. Third, that I would join and commit to a missional community. Uh, Many of you in this room, I'm not sure if we're all a part of a missional community, but this is how we're going to live and experience this Jesus life. If you need cards, there's cards in the back. If you need a card, you can raise your hand. Um, But I would say uh, maybe you um, are a part of an MC, but you need to commit like you could say that I'm a part of this, but th- that's not a faithful part of your life. I will tell, tell you that all four of these steps today um, are possible and I sh- believe should be normal for a disciple of Jesus. That we're faithful to attend on Sundays together. That we should have people in our lives that we're doing life with and reaching out to others with. And there's people in our lives that we're discipling and being discipled by. That should be the normal rhythm of our life. So join, commit to an MC. If that's you, just write MC on your card. Just write that on there so we know that's your step today. We'll follow up with you. Make sure you get plugged into an MC, all those kind of things. And last, if this is your step today, to commit to the discipleship pathway. That as we talk about these things of having a person invest in you for the purpose of being disciple to go out and disciple others, if for you that's a step that you're ready to take that you want to take. We want to partner with you on that. Just write a pathway on your card. We will follow up with you. We'll pray for you. We'll take steps from there. Small is big, right? Slow is fast. And multiplication will always win. Through our little little humble gospel efforts, as we plant seeds that we know is going to be slow, that we know is going to be small, but we have faith that one day God will multiply. Here's what I mean. It might be as slow as in us investing 18 years into our kids, right? A faithful discipleship in our kids' lives. And in 18 years, we see them go and disciple others. That's slow, that's small, but think about in 40 years what God could do through that. For your kids, it's like their kids and your grandkids, your great grandkids, their friends, their neighbors, what could God do? Or think about your neighbors. If you invested in your neighbors and God did a work in their heart and you, and you started some community in your neighborhood and that multiplied to the other neighborhood and to this and to that, what could God do? Not through us doing a bigger event on Sundays, but through the people of God being the people of God and their every single day being faithful to the people God has sent them to. Small is big, slow as fast. Don't be okay with a small step today. Be okay with a small step today, with a slow step today. We felt take that step today let 's pray dear Lord thank you for thank you for this time together, Lord, make clear to us right now in this moment what is what is our next step and Lord let us with With humility and faith, take that next step today. You're good to us, Lord. Continue to speak to us today. We love you. I praise Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to move forward now with communion, but it's going to be a bit different today. We're going to take silent communion. Um, And during this Lent season, as we are um, foregoing lesser things to be reminded of the greater things, and during this time of communion, it's going to be Kind of awkward, right? There's no music playing. It's just us alone with God. But in the awkwardness, I would encourage you to reflect. John 12, verse 24 says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. It's this great picture that discipleship is death. It's this idea of come and give our lives to Christ as Christ has already given his lives for us. So before you come today, reflect on that. Reflect on how Christ, how his body was broken for you. His blood was shed for you. And when you're ready, come partake.